0: So we're in this sermon series called "Being Positive, Staying Positive in a Not So Positive World," and today we're going to be looking at the the subject of gratitude. And I just wanted to kind of encourage you that uh, this is a sermon series that I need currently in my own life. It's a it's a sermon series that challenges um, me to think differently, and uh, I think that's a huge um, a problem in our world. We don't think differently. And as I watch and as I see, we just kind of go with whatever people are throwing in front of us. And I think personally, we need to start thinking for ourselves and coming to conclusions that, that are positive instead of uh, negative conclusions all the time. Let me ask this question, and, and I honestly, I want you to participate with me, please, if you, if you would. How many of you would say, honestly, you're probably an above-average driver? Ah, now no husbands or wives given the old, you know. Okay, you are an above average driver. Now, here's what lies in the problem. Now, I'm not saying you're lying. I'm saying here's what lies in the problem. When the majority of people believe they're almost average drivers, because then it gives you the right to complain about everybody else. That... I'm not supposed to say this word, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's in my sermon notes. That idiot is too fast. He's too slow. Just roll that stop sign. They drive me crazy when they do that. I'm the worst of the worst about complaining about a lot of people. I mean, honestly, in our church, we may have all the above average drivers here. It's those other churches that have the the bad drivers, actually. But... I don't know we can complain about a lot of things. Isn't it funny? You go to a fast food restaurant. You walk up. Someone else serves you. They cook your food. They bring it to you. It takes over three and a half minutes, and we are livid. I cannot believe how long it took them to make a burger and fries. They stand there doing nothing for three and a half minutes. We complain about all sorts of things. There are people who drive their cars up to their houses, push a button, a door opens, they drive their car into the into a protected environment. They close the doors. They push the button. They push the button and close a the door. They complain at the bad gas mileage they're getting. Walk into a controlled environment with air conditioning. Open up a refrigerator full of food. Complain because there's nothing to eat. Turn on a television with 112 stations. We have 378 of them. And we complain there's nothing to watch. They go into their closet. They touch their clothes. I just did this this morning. And what do they say? I've got nothing to wear. And it continues. It's amazing how blessed we can be and yet how ungrateful we often are. I'll be very honest with you and I'll tell you like it is. By nature, I'm not naturally a grateful person. I just tell you by nature, I want more. I want better. I want faster. I want it now. That's why everything in me, quite honestly, I am pursuing a heart of gratitude to the fact I've done quite a little bit of research on this, and I've found that gratitude, many experts say, is the value that unlocks so many other positive values. What I'm saying there is this. If you talk to experts, people who are a lot smarter than I am, who have more degrees than I do, who have done studies on people who are grateful, if you have a problem in another value in your life, like being positive or being, being overly... Uh, um, or being... Um, you love people, you have a hard time loving people, it usually starts with the fact that you are not grateful for what you have. This is people that are smarter than I am. If you can become grateful all of a sudden, all these other elements unlock in your life. Gratitude unlocks so many other positive qualities, and I'm asking God to transform my heart from one that is often entitled to one that is by nature more grateful. The tragedy is for many people, they never will experience the true heart of gratitude I want to show you from a very interesting story in Luke's Gospel. Luke 17, starting in verse 11, and we will read on through the story. We see a description of some lepers who encountered Jesus, and we actually see, tragically, a lack of gratitude. And here's how Luke reports it. Now, on His way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Before we go on, I want you to understand something. In Leviticus 13, it tells us that these people would wear clothes that were torn from top to bottom. They would cover their lower face. They would have to yell, I clean, unclean, which basically means, I stink. It was a nasty disease that eats away at flesh, oozing sores. They would wake up missing fingers and toes. Why? Why? because rats would eat them as they slept not to be disgusting but this is the lifestyle that they lived now remember if he has been years if it has been years since they have been uh, touched or hugged in any way which is what makes verses 14 through 18 so powerful remember this is these are 10 guys who are lepers who, who have had fingers and toes and, and other things just eaten away because of rats coming in and while they're sleeping and they, they don't feel it because of the oozing pain of the leprosy. They have had no intimacy in, in years. No one has reached out and held their hand. No one has grabbed them and said, give me a hug. No one has touched them. They feel like they are the outcasts of society because they are. But then we go to 14 and 18. And this just blew my mind because I saw it in a new way this past week. When I, Jesus, saw them, He said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Catch it. All ten were were changed. All ten never had the chance to be hugged and now their life is changed. And only one guy out of the ten had the decency to come back to Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for... For giving me life. The other nine were healed. There's no doubt in the mind. They just read the scripture passage. It's on the screen. They were healed as they went to the priest. They were cleansed of all of their of all of their oozing. And 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 I believe probably some of those knees, those those toes and fingers were replaced. But they didn't go. They had more important things to do. And why does Jesus bring up this foreigner business? That's kind of rude of Jesus, isn't it? No, because if you know the background of Jesus, Jesus was a Jew. And so Jews and Samaritans, we learned through the, the story of the Good Samaritan and we learned through other stories, Jews, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They didn't like each other. They, they had real issues with each other. And so for the fact that a, that a Samaritan, not even a Jew, would come back to say thank you is a cultural slap in the face. What we can read into this, some commentaries believe, is that we can read into the other nine that chose not to come back. Those, they were Jews. They were Jesus' kind. And they chose to say nothing. But oh, this Samaritan, this guy who supposedly hates Jews and wouldn't give them the time of day, comes back and says, Thank you, Jesus. And he does even more than that. He falls on his knees. Ten lives were miraculously transformed. I'm talking from no hope back to a chance of normal life again. And only one out of ten came back saying, uh, with a heart of gratitude. I don't know about you, but when I read that story this past week, I want to be the one. Not denying here 's the problem i 've been denying more than i 've been to one. You see, God reached down into my life, changed me for some punk teenager who was getting in trouble every other day, and my father literally looked at me one day and said, if you don 't Straighten out soon, you're going to end up somewhere where your mother and I are not going to be able to help you. And I think you know where that somewhere is. And he reached down into that kid's life to show love in spite of all that I believed. How many times have I gone back to say thank you? And before you say, Wow, Pastor, you're really not that good. How many times have you gone back to say thank you? Thank you, God, for loving me in spite of my attitude. Thank you, God, for loving me in spite of my, in spite of my, my hurt and my pain. Thank you, God, for giving me a new life. Thank you, God, for dying on the cross for my sins. So how do we do this? What I want to do is, for the next few moments, is show you these three statements that will help you choose gratitude. Three statements that I believe all of us can adopt and put into our heart that will help us to choose gratitude. Here's the first one. It's on your sermon outline, so get ready to fill in some blanks if you would like. I know of every good thing, I know every good thing I have comes from God. Listen to James chapter 1 verse 17. He says every good and perfect gift is from above. Now automatically what we do is in America is because we have to be we have to be accountable for what we do in America a lot of times what we'll say is but I worked hard for that. I have a car that's sitting in the back lot. I hope still. proud of that car because it's one of my first cars that I've ever bought that had such low mileage. I haven't been blessed to be able to buy a new car. So I take pride in that car. Thank you, Lord. But you know what's easy to say is I worked hard. I work hard for that. It's easy to, to drop God out of the equation. Say, I work hard for this. I work hard for that. But you see, God gave you the arms and the legs to work hard. God gave you the heart to beat so you can go to work. So you can pay the bills. So you can get the jobs done. You have to understand that every place where you succeed, you are succeeding with the gift that God gave you. Because God is the giver of all good things. In fact, when you look at Scripture and run through a list of what people are able to accomplish and what they had, God has always been the author and giver of everything they had. Let's look at some examples. They're not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to kind of read them for you. Think about Noah. God gave Noah a plan for the ark. The ability to build it, therefore, He saved His family. God gave the Israelites bread from heaven in the morning, and He gave them fire by night. They didn't deserve it. And if you notice something, it's a lot like the grace that we get in the mornings. Lamentations chapter 3 says, The grace of Jesus Christ, the mercies of Jesus Christ are unfailing. They are new every morning. Do you know how much grace He's going to give you on Monday? Enough grace to get through Monday. He's not going to give you enough to get through Tuesday on Monday. That's why He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. The Israelites were the same way. He didn't give them a load of manna and say, now you're good for the rest of the day. No, every morning they were refreshed. It's the grace of God. He shows them. I got you. You don't have to worry about it. God gave David a stone to kill Goliath and He gave Jonah a fish that swallowed him up and took him to safety to the shore. God gave a young teenage girl, Mary, the faith to say yes and give birth to the Savior of the world. God gave the wise men a star to lead them. God gave us the Prince of Peace, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion and the Lamb, the Savior of the world. Do You know, by the way, what Alpha and Omega, why that is so important. Alpha is the start of the Greek. Omega is the end. So in the English language, what we would say is from A to Z, God is it. From A to Z, God is it. There's no other person like Him. God gives you the supernatural peace that goes beyond your human ability to understand. God gives us His Holy Spirit to comfort us, convict us, guide us, and counsel us. God gives us His Word to direct us. He gives you health to bless you. He gives you friends to love you. He gives you a life you're going to use to glorify Him, which leads us to some important points to grasp. And here they are. First, God is completely good. God will never not be good. I want you to hear that. I hear a lot of people talking these days, especially over the past week. That's all I'm going to say. And I wonder if we get this point. He's completely good. And he will never not be good. It's out of his realm. He can't not be good. He gives and he takes away. He loves and he forgives. He is good all the time. But number two, and number one's going to go away, when number two goes up, God is constantly good. God will never be less than good. Constantly. Just the minute you think to yourself, well, God, you know, I'm kind of questioning your goodness right now. He comes through for you. Doesn't He? It never fails. I think God has this, um, and I shouldn't say I think, I know he, he, He comes through at the last minute. He doesn't usually bless us ahead of time. Like He doesn't say, okay, in 24 days I'm going to give you this. No, what He says is, I want to bless you when you're ready to accept my blessing. So I want you to understand the wording here is very critical. Consistently good he's not good sometimes and oh so bad sometimes consistently and the reason we we struggle to understand this in america is because we want to relate it to somebody in our lives sometimes it's our dad sometimes it's our moms sometimes it's our grandparents sometimes it's whoever we want to relate it to and they are not consistently good And so automatically, whether we say it with our mouths or in our heads, we begin to think, well, if they aren't consistently good, then how could any father be consistently good? And God says, don't look at them. Watch me. I am going to be consistently good. Never be less than good. Number three. God is unchangeably good. Everything God does is good. He's unchangeably good. You can't change Him from good to bad. People try all the time. They try to say, well, if God was such a good God, then why would He allow this? Well, I'm not God. I don't know. But that doesn't change the fact that He's He's good in spite of what we might feel. God is consistently good. God is unchangeably good. God is completely good. And here's the statement, the next statement that we should be declaring. Number two, I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9 it says better what the eyes see than the raving of the appetite. You see it's better to concentrate on what is in front of you than which than that which you are longing for. It's better to embrace what God is giving you than to always want something more. It's it's better and longing for something else to make you happy. You see, whenever we adopt gratitude, gratitude turns whatever we have into enough. I want you to catch that. If we truthfully have grappled and grasped with gratitude, it turns us into having enough. It's amazing what, what has happened in... My life, I just admitted to you at the beginning of this sermon that I'm not a very grateful person at times. I want the bigger the better and I and I kind of push myself. Something about having children now has allowed me to sit back and say, You know what? So I go without it. That's when you start grasping gratitude. So I don't have the biggest and the best. I got a family that I can play with at night. I got kids that I need to care for. And that's when gratitude becomes real. Better is what we have than a roving appetite wanting something more. Gratitude turns what is be, what is before us into enough and we recognize its blessing. What's crazy to think about is the key point under the second statement, which is this. It'll be on the screen. It's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. Catch that. It's not happy people that are grateful. Don't say, well, that person's happy because they're grateful. That that does work to an extent, but but it's not because they're grateful. It's because they're grateful that they are happy. You catch it? The, the, the difference? People often say, you know, that person's so bubbly and they, and they love life and I bet you they're happy because they're grateful. Well, not exactly. They're grateful because they're happy. I believe I miss the people... Miss people, I missed an. I, oh, I do. I missed a, a people on your sermon outline. So you need to fill that in. It's grateful people that are happy, or happy people. One of those people I missed. But I want to say it again. That needs to soak in. It's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy because better is what I have before me than what I yearn for. Want to see this point active in your life? Just go ahead and take a look at developing country. Watch them. Some of the happiest people I met were in the streets of Haiti who had nothing. Literally, the places that we use in private were right in their front yard. Some of the happiest worshipers I was ever around was when I sat in a Haiti Haitian church in nineteen or two thousand and watched them worship with nothing. and when I say nothing, I mean literally it was post with tarps over top of us on hard wooden benches no padding no air conditioning in the 115 degrees of Haiti and they brought their best and it was literally so loud that me as an American had to do this because they were praising their Jesus that's how you'll see it active that's why their church is pounding growing Because they can't lean on anything else. They can't take a skip and a jump and be at a giant and get all the food they need. They can't go into Toys R Us and buy all the kids toys that they want. All they have is Jesus. And it turns them into a very grateful person. And you know, they, they have our number. I don't wanna to go too far with this, but I'll tell you they have our number because as we were sitting there, the service stopped an hour in. I was like, what's going on? I asked my interpreter, What's going on? What's happening? They're dismissing you. What? They're not done worshiping yet? No, 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 they're gonna take you out in the in the back. And I thought, uh oh, <laughs> what's this all about? They're gonna take you out in the back and give you a Coca-Cola. And they're going to send you on your way. But them, they're going to stay here for another two hours and worship. I walked out in the back and I sat in a chair and I thought to myself, wow. You know what the pastor said that day was, we're going to dismiss the white people. We realize you can't sit through our three-hour services. So go ahead and go. I even tried to stay for a little longer. I wasn't going to promise the whole three hours. No, nope, go. We understand. And that began the process to work in me. And I struggled this day, as I admitted at the beginning of the sermon. But that that missions trip has changed my life. And I have many other stories that will come out in sermons soon, I'm Sure. But just watch them. Watch them where they don't have closets full of shoes. Or so many clothes that they look at their clothes and say, I have nothing to wear. Or so many TV stations. Why is it that it seems in those places the church is growing and people are so much more in the Word and living out the Word? The answer is Christ is enough for them. Friends, they don't need tons of stations. They don't depend on clothing to make them feel better. They rejoice with what they have right now. And for them, Christ is enough. The apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any way and in every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. That's a powerful scripture passage from Philippians 4 where Paul basically says, look, take my food away. I'm still content. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. I got a picture of what Christ is enough. And this is my last story from Haiti, I promise you, or I'll be here all day talking about it. We were sitting in a car, and maybe I've told you this story already, but it was rainy season in, in, in Haiti, and we're going down a muddy trail, and, and we're in this Jeep, and we're driving in this Jeep, and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm scared out of my mind because it's pouring down rain, and every street's like a river. And, and we get to a river. We literally get to a river, and the, the bridge broke out because it was made of stone, so the bridge broke out. So we had to drive across this river, and the driver's saying, I don't know if we're going to make it. And I'm like, then maybe we ought to turn around and go back home. At that moment, 15 Haitians in their best dressed clothes for church came out. Now picture this. I am just about the same way at that time as I am today. And I'm not the smallest person in that car. And they pick us up, the whole Jeep, and walk us across the river and put us on the other side. In their best dressed clothes. They're ready for church. I looked at the person sitting next to me and I said, in America we would have canceled church today. And they said, you're absolutely right. That's when this verse hit me. Being content. They didn't care that they had their best clothes on. They went out and picked that car up right off the wheels and everything, right across the river. With me in it. That's no small feat. But there were six of us jammed in that Jeep. And they did it anyway. And I just looked back on that picture and I think that's what Paul's talking about. Being content. Understanding that, you know what? i got good clothes on. But these people need to get to church. So I'm going to do what i got to do to get them to church. There's a powerful example of what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 4. But not to slow us down, let's look at the third statement. And here's the third statement. I will turn every blessing into praise. I will turn every blessing into praise. One of the times when I was a young pastor, um, I don't consider myself a young pastor anymore, you know, after being a pastor for 18, 20 years or whatever. But when I was a young pastor, people would come up and make comments to me like, good sermon, pastor. Great, great lesson, pastor. Pastor whatever that is. And I always struggled with that. How do I deal with that? Because I don't want it going to my head because I don't want to be a cocky, arrogant, prideful pastor. And so I asked this older lady in our congregation, I said, Joyce, could you pray for me? Just just pray for me. How do I deal with this? And she said, here's what I want you to do. And I've shared this story before, but I want to remind you of it. Every blessing you get, she said, every time somebody comes up to you, I want you to picture a pot with water in it. And you're just going to take that blessing, and and as a flower, you're going to place it into that pot. Okay, all right. So what do I do with the pot after I'm done today, Joyce? You give it to God. Been doing it ever since. The end of the day, eleven thirty at night, twelve o'clock midnight. Here you go, God. Thank you for giving me flowers today, God. Because here's what's going to happen, and the key point is this every blessing I don't turn back to praise turns into pride. Thus, if you don't quickly turn and say, To God be the glory and praise the Lord for the fact that He gave me the ability to do this, it'll turn into pride. You know what? I am a pretty good guy. I can preach a pretty good sermon. No. He could take the voice box. He could do a lot of things. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here today. And so please understand you must take every blessing and turn it back. Here's what it says in Psalm 63, verses. Four through five. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. That, my friends, is the call to be a blessing and to turn praises into blessings. And to turn everything back to Jesus. Can you imagine, those of you that work in a non church environment, if we all took this very seriously, and when that principal came up to you and said, You know, you did a great job handling that situation, you said to him, To God be the glory, after you picked them off the floor, what a witness! That boss came up to you and said, you know, I really appreciate the way you handled that situation. You did it with class and you did a great job. You know what? To God be the glory. I did it to him, for him. It's not being arrogant. It's not being a Bible thumper. It's being real. It's telling him, listen, I'm nothing without him. And what a witness it is when we do that. So how do we do this? And and I want to give you a a practical application. And here's what it is. On the bottom of your sheet, it says, "I want you to. I want you. It says. It says your complaints. And then and then and then it has a bunch of blank lines. And I just want you to take." That sheet. Now I want you to think about your frustrations right now. You're 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 your, your, where you are not grad grateful right now. I I believe me. I I had more than those lines uh, gave me. But I want you to just think about it and say, you know, God, you really did bless me in this area, but I'm not really grateful for it right now, and, I, and I'm struggling with it. And just just put it on that sheet of paper. And 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 when you take that that sheet of paper home, I want you to think about. Each of these. I want you to see the very first and most powerful way we do this is by taking our complaints and work hard on one or two, making them a blessing. So just take your complaints. Write them down. I'm not talking about complaints at church. I'm talking about complaints with, with, within your heart and your mind. And you're saying, you know, I really struggle being grateful for this. Maybe it is church. I really struggle for being grateful for this. And then I just want you to work on those two today. Those two this week. That's so all I want you to do. Yeah, but Pastor, I'm listing 18 of them. I don't care. List two, figure out two that you want to work on and just work on those two. Because I guarantee you, as you work on the ones that you are struggling with, quote, the most, you will then figure out how to become grateful for the other 18. But until you start the process, until you start doing this process that is right here in front of you, you will not get to where you need to be. You can't do it. You can't do it just by saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be grateful for everything. No, you've got to put it on paper and then work hard at it. And here's my goal. You say, what's the goal of this whole thing? I want you to see a glass half full, not half That's what I want you to see. I want you to look at your life and if you look at a glass of water, instead of saying, you know, man, I really could have a whole lot more. Say, praise the Lord for what I have. And I'm going to do the best with what I can do with what I have. It's not always easy, but it's needed. Psalm 103, 2-5 says it this way, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. Oh, to have the same mindset. I started off this sermon with ten lepers. One who came back to give praise to the Lord. And what did I admit to? I'm more part of the nine more than I'm part of the one. Can faith church become part of the one? where well, we don't become part of the nine, but we quickly give praise to Jesus for what He has done, for rescuing us from death, for, for giving us eternal life. And then I want you to take that paper, and this is my closing thought, Where you wrote the complaints. And underneath those complaints, I want you to write at least three good things that God has done for you. Trust me, you will have more if you think about it. But I want you to take what you are concerned about and what you're frustrated with today. And I want you to write three things that God has done for you. And watch what He will do. The problem becomes when we are not grateful, it's most likely because we have forgotten just how deep and how faithful God loves us. The fact is, He does fill your life with good things, and we can be very quick to miss them all. Miss them all. And one of the things that God has been saying to me is two words throughout this sermon series and throughout this preparation. Slow down. Watch what I am doing and give me credit for it. Praise me for what I am doing. And it's amazing the little things that He gives me throughout the day. From putting my son into a bubble bath last night that brought up memories of a grandmother who loved me to a whole lot of other things because I slowed down. Maybe he's saying the same to you. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you first and foremost that you paid the ransom. You wrote the check and you didn't ask for anything back. And we're thankful for that, Lord, today. And we ask you, Lord, to minister to us as we we go from this place. Help us to be grateful in all circumstances. It's not easy, Lord, because there's so much that can hit us in one week. But Lord, it starts by just turning one thing around to gratefulness. Help us to do that today and this week. Help us to look at things with a fresh set of eyes. Your set of eyes. That can see the good in all things. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for what you do in our hearts and lives. For it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the broad expanse of God's love and the abundance of His riches and glory shape your perspective on your own life and needs, including those things which disappoint you. May the eyes of your heart be open to all blessings which surround you. May this awareness produce a harvest of generosity in your spirit. And finally, may the grace, peace, and love of Jesus Christ and the triune God protect, defend, and empower you to run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Amen.